everybody to season one episode two of climax the podcast love letter to a small town i want to kick off episode two with just a very sincere thank you our first official episode last week episode one song of the lark with lark murphy the longest tenured teacher in climax scott's community schools and here's what's crazy to me that's been listened to several hundred times now it's been listened to in about half the u.s And even crazier than that, four different countries. You know, Climax may be a small town, but it has very far reach. Thank you, everyone, wherever you are, for loving our town. Per usual, on this podcast, we're going to get all the business taken care of right up front. First off, want to talk about the link tree for Climax the Podcast. You can find that on all our social media platforms, as well as in the description for this podcast. On that link tree, you're going to find all the different ways you can listen to the show. You're going to find links to our YouTube channel. Now, a few of those buttons pertain to supporting the show. This show is free to listen to, and that is not going to change. Not now, not ever. But it is not a free show to produce, so there's no guilt trip here. If you're able, if you want to, there's a few different ways to support the show. There's a donation button. There's a couple of different t-shirts that are centric to Climax or the show itself. If you'd like to, the options are there. All efforts and donations are appreciated to help keep this show going. And how about that? This is our first legitimate sponsored ad for this show. Many thanks to this episode's sponsor, Kristen Wikoski from State Farm. Kristen's an old pal of mine from high school days, a good old Climax kid. Here's just a few words from Kristen herself. Being there for our customers on their good days and bad, that's why we are here. We commit to doing what's best for our customers, and at the end of the day, make sure you're in the best hands possible. And we'll always do it with the highest ethics, with sincere honesty, and the best of intentions. I'd love the opportunity to quote your insurance and earn your trust in business. We're across the street from Ollie's on 20th Street in the Cherrydale Office Plaza. For more information, give her a call, 269-968-5130, or visit her website, www.callkristin.com. Thank you, Kristen, for supporting the show, and thank you guys for considering Kristen for your family's insurance needs. I want to circle back to the Climax the Podcast link tree for just a second, because that's where you'll find our YouTube channel link, and it's also on our social media. But there are just absolute treasures on that YouTube channel. If you haven't seen them, go out of your way to check this out. From the archives of Prairie Historical Society, as well as some of my own personal archives, here's just a few of the things that are on that YouTube channel. Just last week, I put up a Channel 3 WWMT special for sports superstar Travis Wade from 1993. There's a walkthrough climax hosted by Dwayne Drollett Jr. That's from about 1990, and that was fascinating to just watch everything in town and how much it's changed, yet also stayed the same. 
Last week, the dedication of the Genevieve Sinclair Room at Lawrence Memorial Library went up, and that was an emotional roller coaster. Turns out, the Sinclair family didn't even know that tape existed. My personal favorite probably has to be the infamous pile driver of Julie Cummins from 1998. If you were there, it's a cherished memory. If you weren't there, y- y- just watch the video. It It's unapologetically only in climax. I've got a few more things that I'm queuing up for the YouTube channel. I've found at least one 1990s band concert from CS that I'm going to work on getting up on the channel. A lot of people have been asking me about the memorial mauling. When's it coming back? Well, I can tell you, never say never, but definitely say not this year. But I can probably find a way to get a few matches from the two memorial mauling pro wrestling shows that have happened in Climax on the YouTube. I've talked about it a lot on the social media as well as those teaser episodes before the show officially launched about an upcoming episode this season in perfect English. Tributes to Mrs. Pierce, trying to get as many stories, testimonials, anecdotes about the career of the education juggernaut that was Ellen Pierce in Climax Scott's community schools. If you have any memories, any stories of school or plays or forensics, whatever it may be that involve Ellen Pierce, I want to be able to put those all together into one episode. And as much as possible, I want those stories to come directly from those in the audience. So there's a few different ways you can do that. You can email me your stories at climaxthepodcast at gmail.com. You can send me a message on any of the social media platforms. Those all come directly to me anyway. You can also call and record your story on the Climax the Podcast hotline, area code 779-456-6713. Now, the voicemail there is limited to three minutes, so you can leave it in multiple parts if it's more than three minutes, or you can email me and we can set up a way that I can call you if we need a little bit more time for the story. I haven't received a whole lot of stories yet, But I'm hoping that now that the show is official, it's happening, it's out in the wild, I'm hoping that results in some more stories finding their way to the many different inboxes so that we can all put forth our best effort in remembering Ellen Pierce. That takes care of all the business for this week's episode. Now I want to throw out a couple of little teases about one thing that's almost definite to come and one thing that I'm going to work my butt off to try to make happen. It's coming up the last weekend in May. Most of the country knows it as Memorial Day, but for everyone in Climax, it's also Founders Day. The last weekend in May, there's already a whole lot of awesome stuff shaping up. Julie Tiller and company are doing an amazing job putting together another event just as big, if not bigger, than last year's Meet Me in the Middle. And I'm working on a little something-something. It's probably going to happen Sunday evening, so it's not trying to cram more stuff into Memorial Day because there's already a lot of amazing stuff going on, and I don't want to take any attention away from the core events that we're counting on happening on Monday. But if you like this podcast, if you like Climax Scots, if you like the history, you might want to keep your dance card clear the evening of Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. That's all the teas I've got on that for now. Now, my other little teas, I can't say a lot right now because there are a lot, 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 lot of moving parts. But if I can pull this off, I think it's going to be amazing for the town, preserving and showcasing our history, and also important in keeping Climax businesses thriving. I'm not going to say more than that for now because I don't want to jinx anything. 
but I'm likely going to turn to you, the audience, for some love, help, and support for these ventures. But right now, the cart's a little before the horse. I'm going to let all of you know when I know a little bit more about this whole bigger plan moving forward. What do you say? Do I have your curiosity? I'll tell you, I was curious when I was going through the archives at Prairie Historical Society, and I found this plastic black, yellow, and white cassette tape. It is labeled Fall of 1988, One Room Schoolhouse PHS Presentation with Bethel Ebinger and Gertrude Carver. Now check this out. This tape is, as I just mentioned, it's from 1988. Did what I could, got things cleaned up, and you know what? This audio is probably about as good as it's going to get. Very happy with how clear this came out. But this is largely Gertrude Carver talking about what it was like to be a teacher in the one-room schoolhouses in the 1930s. I wanted to piggyback this one off the episode with Lark Murphy because we got 35 years of perspective from Lark of the way we know Climax Scott's community schools today. This is going back 90 years to a time that's going to seem foreign to so many of us who grew up in Climax Scott's community schools as we know it right now. I don't want to spoil any more of this very fun, informational, and quite literally in every sense of the word, educational conversation with Gertrude Carver on the one-room schoolhouses of Climax. Now, because this was on a cassette tape, you are going to hear a little break in there. I'm going to do what I can to clean it up, but there's going to be an abrupt stop and then a little bit of a gap, and then coming right back to the conversation. There's nothing I can do with the miracle of post-production to clean up. People had to switch the side of the tape back in the 80s when this was recorded. So you will hear a little bobble, but going to do what I can to minimize that. But for now, I hope you enjoy episode two, One Room Schoolhouse with Gertrude Carver and Bethel Ebinger. you forgive me, this is as much an autobiography of my first five years in the rural school, rather than teaching. <clears throat> How pleasant it is to reminisce about the times of the rural school. We had no worries except to do well in school, or perhaps the best. This was not true of our parents. They worked harder, sometimes seven days a week, to keep up with the work cut wood for the winter and so forth. Women had to churn butter, that, that was the only use for cream, set hens to raise chickens to sell for food and lay eggs. You were lucky if a hen raised 12 chicks. Usually you had a triangular shaped coop for them to stay in. They had to be protected from rain, weasels, skunks, hawks, owls, and so forth. There were no huge electric bills. The kerosene had to be kept on hand, and chimneys kept clean. You learned quickly not to spill kerosene from a lamp or lantern. There was a constant danger of fire. I started school in 1914 at the South Harrison School. Bert Harrison was my first teacher. He had been my father's teacher when he lived in the same house with his sister and husband. Olive Case lived across the road from us, and the Selby family lived north beside the school. There were eight children in the family, and they were cousins of Leonard Proctor. Leonard attended the same school that year. His grandparents lived where we now live. It was later sold to Monroe Canals, who planted an orchard. 
And at that time, uh, uh, some of the schools taught ninth grade if the teacher was qualified to teach. <clears throat> I had no brothers and sisters, so this was my first experience with a group activity. Some of the games we played were pom-pom, pull-away, prisoner's ball, tag games, poison tag, wood tag, three-deep, baseball. There was no prejudice against the girls playing baseball, as there weren't enough boys to make a team. <laughs> After learning to read, I read most of the books in the library. I remember Carpenter's Geographical Reader. <clears throat> the Australian edition and the peculiar animals and birds found there. Also the Rover Boys. The schoolhouse was later used by Scott. Climax School District until they could build classrooms. Where was it located? It is, um, you know where the Canals Orchard is, Wes? No, but somebody might. Mm -hmm. I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we go down that way, beyond there. You go right down, you go right straight down the Parker's Corners far as you can until you come in the curve of the road. Just before you get to the curve of the road. And that is and the schoolhouse was probably about a quarter of a mile this side of there. Is the building still there? Uh, um there's a little oh, house there. They, they made it in sort of a garage house. It's yeah. made into a house. Is that on the corner Cook, where uh, Bowman lives? Right. Yeah, it's oh, on that corner. West Side yeah. Road. Oh. Or East Side Road. That was a nice big schoolyard. So sometimes you, uh, you didn't have room for even a baseball diamond. <laughs> These uh, flats for the schools went back to the uh, farm most of them they weren't owned by the school district the building was but uh, it it had to be used for school purposes or church purposes or or the land went back to the farmer that it still belonged to the farm yes the place where we live was a schoolhouse you see and that uh, place would have reverted back to the house or to the people that owned the farm but those people were long gone, but we did have uh, some legal matters in order to get a uh, title to it, yes. So it's ours now. Then I have a short article, The Value of the Rural School. U.S. was the first country to offer free public education, and it was the blessed best plan they could devise before the times of cars and buses were invented. M most of the schools weren't more than three or four miles apart, so the children wouldn't have to walk <coughs> much more than a mile and a half at least. I walked two miles when I had to go to eight years. Mm -hmm. I school. Just here, I 
How many snow days did you get? One advantage was the classes were small, so every child could have individual help. <clears throat> and I think a lot more patriotism was taught back in the rural school than is taught nowadays. We sang patriotic songs real often and learned the Pledge of Allegiance. How about prayer? Um, I might have gone to one year where we had prayer. Occasionally. Mm -hmm. uh, the school was the center of the community. They had potlucks and dinners and programs, birthday parties sometimes in the neighborhood. We, were, we learned respect for our elders and teachers. Discipline at school practically always meant discipline at home. And I always enjoyed the yearly trip to the woods to learn about the spring flowers. Okay. <laughs> how was a typical day to go? I mean, was there a structure to it? Is, uh, oh, yes. Well, you got there in the morning and you happened? You uh, try to get all those subjects in for kindergarten through the eighth grade. You had to have a well-planned day. Well, my talk is going to be different than Gertrude's. <laughs> as later, should we say. <laughs> because um, now, in, I graduated from high school in 1924. You can figure it up if you want. Um, <laughs> and at that time, all seniors who thought they would like to be teachers had to write the county examinations. There were 13 in the class. And out of the 13, five girls and two boys wrote the county examinations. And if you passed, you went to normal for six weeks. Qualif um, any qualified county normal, but they don't have county normals anymore, or western, which is the one I went to. A girlfriend and I lived in a room and a half at my uncle's house on Main Street for a dollar and a half a week. We cooked on a gas burner and stored our milk in an ice chest. We went home over the weekend for more food for the next week. <laughs> we took the interurban train to Galesburg, where my dad met us and took us home. And on Sunday night, of course, the boyfriends took us back. We were required in that summer to take penmanship, geography, and reading so that we could teach the little beginners how to read because they were called beginners then and not kindergarten. I was fortunate as they needed a teacher at Harmony School, which was built between Jensen's home and Morgan's. The president of the school board used to work for my dad, so he drove over with his horse and buggy to talk it over with my dad and myself. Before he left, he had a handwritten form which he had me sign 
and I was to receive the huge sum of $70 a month and $5 a month for sweeping the floor and building the fires in the big stove which was in the center of the room. I had never attended a country school, but both of my sisters had taught country school and I had visited their school. I was told I would have about 12 children. Was I ever misled? The first day in walked two six-foot boys with their brother <laughs> and sister. And it was a new family that had moved in. Before the year was over, I had 23. Kindergarten had to stay all day until the afternoon recess, and then they could go home. I can remember so well seeing those two little boys walking down the road carrying their dinner pails. They looked so tiny. All subjects were taught, reading, writing, spelling, geography, physiology, history, to the upper grades. And uh, of course there was, I had eight or four eighth graders and some of the classes only had one, some had two, some had three, but you had all of them. Um, the eighth graders, which were required to write county examinations if they wanted to go to high school. I spent many nights after school, which was dismissed at four o'clock, drilling them for the county examinations. All four of them passed and all went to high school. Everyone carried their own lunch, which they ate outside in good weather or in their seats, after which they were free to go outside and play. They played anti-eye over the school building with a ball. If someone caught the ball, then they could run around the school, try to tag someone on the other side, to be, then the whip would have to be on their side. We also played crack the whip, pom-pom pull away, and baseball. The school was in need of repair. If the door of the room at the front was shut too hard, then the plaster fell onto the floor. <laughs> there was... Um, an uh, entry for the girls and one for the boys where the girls put their coats and their rubbers of course they didn't know anything about boots then and, um, and their dinner pails and then the boys could go in on the other side and play, put their things away outside were two outhouses one on the east side of the building for the girls and one on the west side of the building for the boys each was supplied at the beginning of the year with either a Sears and Roebuck or a Montgomery Ward catalog, <laughs> which didn't last the whole year, so you had to supply your own waste paper. <laughs> there were 23 library books in the school when I went. No piano, no construction paper, two pair of shears, not even a well at the school for water, so the boys would have to walk with a pail down to the Jensen house and get it from a pump which was out in the yard. And then they would bring it back to school and put it in the corner on a shelf and um, with a big dipper which was hanging at the side and a towel which I took home on weekends and brought back a clean one on Monday. What color was it when you took it home? <laughs> well, it was the color of <laughs> the boy's hand. <laughs> and um, you would, if you 
took a drink of water and you had too much in it, then you would pour the water into the basin. And when you got enough in the basin, then you could wash your hands. But the water was so precious that we just didn't put it in. And if it got too bad, well, we threw it out on the ground. I never had any trouble with discipline. The first week of school, a little third grade boy was doing something on the floor under his desk. I went down, picked him up by the back of his suspenders on his overalls, set him in his seat, never said a word, and it lasted all the year because I never had to touch another child. <laughs> school was formal. You raised two fingers if you wished to speak to a friend, one finger if you wished to leave the room. When classes were called, I would say, eighth grade arithmetic, turn, and they would turn in their seats. Then they would stand, and then I'd say pass. And they would come to the front of the room and sit on the recitation bench, where they would answer the questions about their lessons. And then they would be excused, and the next class would be called. At Halloween, I decided to have a box social to raise some money to buy some things for the school. We had a program by the children. Then the boxes were the parents and the children brought girls, brought boxes, all decorated pretty, which were auctioned off. My dad was the auctioneer. After all the boxes were sold, they were open, and the food was eaten by whoever brought, bought the box, which contained sandwiches, fruit, dessert, and whatever they wished to put in. We earned the big sum of $31, with which I bought construction paper, drawing paper, shears, library books, material for curtains, which I made, and uh, a pump organ for $10. <laughs> the farmer delivered the organ at noon so the boys could help him move it into the school. After that, each morning we sang for about 10 or 15 minutes before classes started, and I gave music lessons on the organ after school for free. There was a big black stove in the center of the room for heat. Big chunks of wood were brought in from the wood pile, which is beside the fence. In the winter, it would be, would be, this wood would be covered with snow, and we would have to sweep up the water. And if boys <coughs> would bring in the wood for the next day, and we would put it beside the stove, but if I forgot, I had to go out and get it myself. At Christmas, we had a program. The parents brought in kerosene lamps which we placed around the room. Sheets were hung up across the front of the room so as to make a stage. Uh, the to me, Christmas wasn't Christmas without a tree. So I asked if anybody knew where we could get a tree. Next morning, one of the boys said his dad said we could have the top out of one of their pine trees. The boys lived two miles from school. So at noon, I dismissed the boys. I think there were seven boys from the third grade to the eighth grade that went. They sawed the top out, dragged it down the road, covered with ice and snow, and brought it into the school. The girls took turns sweeping the water out the door. It was a big tree, seven or eight feet high, which we decorated with popcorn, paper chains made from wallpaper catalogs. But it really was pretty. We even wrote up the events 
and Ray's father published them in the paper for us. We had a good ball team. We played the Climax boys. How we got the Climax, I don't remember. Then we were asked to play the, stand, the Standing Brick School on the way to Kalamazoo. If you go on East Avenue North, there's a big brick schoolhouse. Which can, I, can I interject for a minute before you finish your story? <clears throat> this story is what started the Historical Society. Because Beth and I were on our way to the mall. And we went by the school on Kildare Road. And Mother told me the most delightful story. And I thought, am I going to remember this stuff when my children are old enough <laughs> to appreciate it? And I decided, no, we needed a historical <coughs> society. Carry on with your story. <laughs> well, it's before you get to the corner that turns to go to the back 40. But how were we going to get there? I didn't have a car. One of the girl's brothers, Carlton Knauss, had a Model T Ford, no top. He said we could take his car. Now, I had never driven a Model T, but he came down to school at noon and gave me lessons going up and down the road. Then he went home, and at four o'clock, I loaded my eight boys into the car. I shiver when I think of it now. <laughs> but we got there, played our game, and won, and came home. I took his car home, then I walked home, which I did each day. As I had no car, I cut across the fields and came out little past George's, and then I was in the road. I will be ever grateful for my guardian angel being with me that day that I took those boys. I can't see where I ever got the courage to do such a thing. <laughs> After all, it was a happy year for me. I was young and with the children. I saved enough money that year to put myself through two years at Western, received my life certificate, and the following year I taught in Battlefield. Well, that all happened. Not a lot of years here. Well, this is a picture of the school, but it's a picture of the school after they modernized the school. What is the name of the school? Harmony School. Harmony School. And because um, when I was there, they had two doors on the front, and of course then they had to make it a standard school, and all the lights had to come over your right shoulder, so they had windows on one side. Why a separate door for the boys and the girls? Propriety or? Well, it, they just did. Some schools had one door and some mm -hmm. two. Now, this is a picture of my children. I'm in the middle, so. <laughs> I uh, but I had to st <laughs> They went and got a chair for me to stand. <laughs> I got a, a I'm standing on a chair, which <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't see me. And um, then later, I taught in the level school, and this is more like a typical country school. These are the children that I had in the level school. Now, is that the one that was, what, in the cemetery? That's the one that uh, was Irene Longman taught. Vernon Longman there. Oh, Vernon Longman. No, oh. right straight no. across from the east, level home. East of Climax. You're Two miles. 
It's okay. And um, the drowlets were in here, the pierces. Well, I know them all, but it doesn't mean a thing to you. And then I was running across them. And this is the Harrison School, where Leona now lives. Yeah. And um, that was the year my sister taught there. And this was the last day of school. They always had a big um, dinner and so forth, the last day of school. Now, why was it the Harrison School, Leona? Well, there's so many Harrison. Well, I mean, was it on Harrison property? Or? Because Gertrude said that the property wasn't owned by the school system. Leona, do you know the Harrison School? I brought that in here. Which one? The one you're living in. I mean, did the Harrisons own the property? That's what I'm wondering. That the school was built on? No, some people that lived in the big white house owned the property at one time, I guess. Yeah, it belonged to Ebinger Farm. Yeah, that, well, who was that, that owned it before? Halleck. Halleck, that's what it was, mm -hmm. Halleck. Um, mm -hmm. uh, here's a couple articles that are very in interesting to me. The worst storm strikes Michigan, um, climax, and the, where the teacher dismissed the boys from school to go out and shovel the roads. And J.C. and Clarence Harrison, with their big trucks, worked almost constantly trying to get the road open. But it was not until Thursday that they were able to get the road passable. Snowbanks were so high you could almost touch the telephone poles. And um, here is a article: the Lovell School, the Howard School and the Harmony School, which was an article from the Climax Crescent a few days ago. <coughs> Are there dates on there in those articles? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, but, no, there aren't. Um, and this is when um, the Climax High School, when it was used as a high school, the article and how they had a big celebration. The Women's Study Club um, had on a had a big deal for the dedication of the new building, and and Ernest Burnham came out and talked. And, oh, it was a big day. The whole it's real interesting to me, anyhow. And um, this is one of the old songbooks that the teacher played out of, and this, the children had these books so that you could tell them what page to turn, and they would. Anything we still know in there? <laughs> oh, yes, this American, Old, old Black Rome Joe, and... <laughs> 20 Froggies went to school. <laughs> My old Kentucky home. Oh, yeah, they're all there. That's right, they're all there. And it's pictures of other schools. No, I That L.J. brought that. Mm. 
this is the size of the wash basin that we used to pour our water in to wash our hands. <coughs> Probably about 20, 20 feet from the line between Jensen's and Morgan's. Kind of up on a little. That schoolhouse has moved and is now south of town, next to Haggard's. I don't know who lives in it. I think it's painted green. I'm not sure. But that was the original. <laughs> this would have been in the late 30s, possibly, because our son's name is in it. Mm -hmm. I noticed that. That's the one about the storm? <coughs> no, oh, this is the school, school note. And you'd like to read the one about <coughs> I have some old textbooks here if you want to look in them. <laughs> they, these all date before Bethel and I, though. I know it, and they say they we, the members of the senior class of the Climax High School, Climax Miniature, the United States of America, are about to leave this school and in possession of as sound mind and sound body as home economics, test chemistry, agriculture, and English literature will let us be, <laughs> being perfectly aware of our excellent and most superior ability, realizing the other facilities of others daring to hope to obtain the heights that we have in order to fulfill the best wishes and desires of their hearts. We bequeath the following. Our precious sessions will treasure them and make them as much as possible. We do hereby revoke any and all former wills here before made and executed at this time. Item one, to the juniors we leave our ability to cooperate with other classes. Item two, the sophomores we leave and overload cuds of gum. We may have left adhering to the underside of the desk, banisters, classroom chairs, or any other likely places, especially Carlton Berry's desk. We have sometimes had to rid ourselves of these in a big haste. Um, to the freshmen, we leave our ability to study as hard when the room supervisor is absent as when he or she is watching us. This being all of our traces which we could leave to the respective classes without starting all school for this. Um, 
to uh, Burl Myers, we bequeath a portable bed to carry with him so he will be more comfortable when he sleeps in class. <laughs> to Barbara Martin, which is now Barbara Piper, we bequeath an asbestos dress so she will be well protected when she's cooking a meal for the family. Um, to David Harrison, the senior boys leave all their cigarette butts and cigars stubs <laughs> so that if bumming gets poor, he will still have plenty to smoke. <laughs> to Harold Piper, Mer Maynard Piper, and Marvin Elwell, we wish to leave their ability to drive Chevrolets, no matter what the condition. And Mildred. I don't know who. We wish and bequeath a season ticket to the ringside table at the Black Cat Inn. To Florence Hitchings and Maxine Elwell, we leave her ability to make whoopee while the moon shines. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> to June Rowe, we bequeath her honor of being the most popular and the most dated girl in school. To Carol Elwell, we bequeath a big flashlight, hoping this will aid him when find, trying to find his way around in the cemetery after dark. Sounds like a story. <laughs> to Paul Pulley and Jim McNutt, we leave his ability to court a girl while riding a bicycle. Um, to Frieda von Middlesworth and to Virginia Peck, their position as the most boyish girls in school. Um, to Mr. Michael, we bequeath twin beds. Feeling that we have disposed of these gifts to the best of our ability, within, here within witness thereof, the class of 36 have our will fulfilled on this sheet of parchment set in our hand on the 28th day of May in the year of our Lord, 1,936. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The one they're talking about here, and it was quite a pleasure for the, some of us senior boys to get the job working on the railroad, help shovel out the track between well, the main Grand Trunk Line and going into Kalamazoo. Because they'd have like, uh, I think, just one freight coming out of Kalamazoo to come to the main line. So they hired everybody that wanted to shovel snow. And what was so nice about it was uh, that's the thing that a lot of young guys wouldn't have a chance to do. Why they, a train would come by and they'd have a couple extra cabooses on and we'd pile on the caboose. And, ride to where the line came in and then they would uh, maybe take us part way on a second car but then our job was that when it got to where the snow was drifted up why you'd have your shovel and 
and maybe there was 20, 30 of us, and, uh, and you'd shovel until you got to the next guy, and then put the shovel over your shoulder and walk way up to the pump to get some new snow, and then you'd shovel a patch, and you just kept going ahead of the line, and uh, that was our day activity. <laughs> and of course, you took about a loaf of bread made up into sandwiches for your dinner, <laughs> and, uh, but that was quite a little entertainment for us. We couldn't go anywhere because it was all snowed in. And how much were you paid for it? I forgot that. You were paid? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't $10 an hour. No. Probably even that 10 a day. No. She found it. Yes. To Jim Bates and Raymond Smith, we leave, his leave the position as associate editor of the world-renowned <laughs> well, that was one that, that turned out it was <laughs> Kathy, can you add anything? Not about when I'm still having Back when I was in junior high school, first they had a, what they called an ungraded school. Oh, yeah. This was for kids that just didn't fit in the regular classroom. And the man that taught it was a cripple. He had one leg that was quite short, and he had this cane, and he had been a hobble. If he let one kid get out of line, and that cane changed as quick as he was in the That's how in school. It didn't mean a thing. They just lay it through. Mr. McPherson. Mr. McPherson. Aha. You knew about the cane? Oh, yes, I knew about the cane. Uh, I was in junior high at the time. He was he taught for quite a while. We had a kid named Corky Kelly that was in that group, and he could do anything in athletics that he didn't know very much. <laughs> and so he was he'd try anything. If he hurt himself, so what? He'd just get up and try something else. Corky Kelly. Uh, in junior high, when I was there, it was required that we each had to spend one week in Mr. McPherson's room as a class for, I don't know if it's for English <coughs> or what, but we, everyone had to spend a week in Mr. McPherson's room. And of course, I went in with the rest of them. And uh, at that particular time, uh, he was teaching the Lord's Prayer, line by line. And I learned more that week about praying <laughs> And the large bet, no fooling, laying all kidding aside, it was excellent. As I look back at it now, it was just fine. He didn't stand for any foolishness. No way. Boy, he could chunk you on the head with that cane and just never miss a hair. What was your years there? Oh, come now. <laughs> oh, let me see. I don't know. Um, yeah, 23, 24. Long in those years. Yeah, when I was there. Because um, I graduated from high school in 30. I got away with murder because I played in the court. Lisa Kyle was a teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Earl Welch was a teacher. And um, 
You want to say something that not to be recorded?
Ma said, let's see your head. And I was lousy in the pet cool. So she got off the Glover's Mange Cure and I went through that and sent me back to school nice and fresh and clean. One day I was in school and came home at night and let me see your head again. And I was just as lousy as I was before. Well, she put on her coat and hat, went up to talk to Mr. Hazel. The school was closed the next day, and it was closed until the place had been fumigated and all youngsters had to have a, a slip from the health department that they were clean before they came back. That building yeah. was for the jewel yes. store. Uh -huh. yeah. How many oh, of yeah. you take the Regents address? This, this month's issue, there's an article in there about a W. Keith Keller, and you'll be ready to know. Uh -huh. He's a great grandson of W. Keith right. Keller. Well, his father was in school with me. His father and his brother, uh, John, yeah. was two years younger. And uh, he went to number three school, which is where Andy Kellogg is now. And uh, I can remember going with Johnny and Keith down to their house for J.L. Kellogg, was W.K.'s son. And uh, their mother brought us out ice cream and on the back porch. Mm -hmm. The house that's right next to where W. K. lived on Street. But this fellow looks very much like his father, but when he was in school. Well, how come I never missed you? I missed you like along those lines. Yeah, I went to number <laughs> three school. Did you? Yeah, and mm -hmm. we used to go down and play yes. on it with the Kellogg kids. Yeah. Well, Wilma, what was your maiden name? Well, we know you're descended from the elders. Well, yeah. Was, was your maiden Mar name Elder? Martin. 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 Mm -hmm. Did it ring a bell, babe? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't remember what the teacher's name is now. <laughs> <laughs> she was You must have some fond memories out here. At that point, I never had much to do with the principal. But after I got real hard, I got in trouble with him quite a bit. My mother was a teacher in a rural school teacher in Minnesota. And uh, I relied on anything she said. I remember having a Miss Rain She had a sister and uh, um, so the both of them up until about the time they died. They lived in our home. Uh, they lived in College Street. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you think? I hope everyone got a laugh, a smile, something that they learned, something that they truly enjoyed about the town history, because those are all the things that I felt listening to this conversation and these stories from Gertrude Carver. If you liked this episode, if you like this show, I ask you to take a second out of your day, whatever feed you listen to this podcast on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it might be, if you can take a second to like the podcast, leave a review, and even better, share it with your friends and family. 
All of those things help get more eyes and ears on this show, and that just helps more people understand just how amazing that little town of Climax really is. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in about a week.